you have, uh, and this is, a, this is a thing for the Sondergal house, and you have the feeding thing. Um, like whose expenditure has gone up by 50% on food since the kids have been at home all the time? Um, if, if you have boys, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because boys do not just eat for sustenance, they eat for entertainment. And so it wouldn't be unusual for you to go to your fridge uh, or stand near your fridge and see, if you have boys, to see a, a boy with the fridge door open and you ask, what are you doing? And he says, I'm bored. That's why the fridge door is actually open. Uh, feeding the kids is a thing, especially over this last little season um, that we've had, not to mention the, uh, the cabin fever. Um, um, now, if you're a mum, you, you love this stuff even when you hate it. That's probably true. Um, it's, it's, you, you love just to have the clan together and have them all in the house together, even when there's things going on that you really dislike. Uh, the kids bouncing and throwing balls inside. Um, there's, it's kind of a love-hate kind of thing. Uh, this is what parenting is all about. This is what family is all about. But there are times where uh, it's just downright hard. And there are times where it feels like it will never end. I think the attitude of mums that I've observed is uh, similar to uh, Winston Churchill in the Second World War or the kind of attitude Winston Churchill actually stirred up. There's a photo of him on the screen there. Let me, let me explain. Winston Churchill became Prime Minister of the United Kingdom when he was 65. It was on May the 10th, 1940. Uh, and on that day, around that time, Britain looked to be done. They stood alone against the vicious and the victorious Nazis. Uh, two weeks after Churchill came to power, France was knocked out of the war. They had to get 340,000 troops um, off the beaches at Dunkirk. Um, the Germans basically had control of Europe. Uh, and it seemed impossible that Britain could survive. Uh, but in the midst of this time, they turned to this man called Winston Churchill. And he was a man that spoke the truth for years. Uh, sometimes they got him into trouble politically, um, and uh, other times it was helpful. I want to read to you uh, a, a section from Churchill's first speech um, to the people. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. This was followed by another speech shortly after that. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Uh, classically, uh, Churchill is quoted as saying this, Never, never, never give up. I mean, doesn't, doesn't that sum up a mum? Never, never, never give up. And here's my personal favourite. This one's a wallpaper on my uh, computer. If you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> if you're going through hell, keep going. Isn't this mums? Mums excel at keeping on going even when it is hard. Now, Today is about mums, it's Mother's Day, but you know what, this is about everyone because the ability to stick with things when they're hard is critical. And I want to say to you this morning that the Bible gives way better reasons than Churchill for why you should stick to it, why you should never, never, never give up. Why? 
if you're going through hell, you should keep going. I uh, want to look at them. So if you can grab your Bibles, if you haven't got them open already, I'm going to read Romans 5, verse 1, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to make some comments as we go through that, um, just so that you can understand it. And then we're just going to look for a moment or two at this uh, logical flow that Paul uh, talks about in Romans uh, 5, verse uh, 3 and 4. But uh, we'll get there in a minute. Romans 5, verse 1 to 5. Love for you to keep it open in front of you. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, what's justification? What's being justified? Well, you're in a new state. There's no charge against you. You've been publicly declared righteous. You've been publicly declared innocent of all charges. Once for all, the death of Christ on the cross, if you trust in him and you believe him and you, you, uh, you give up your life to him, um, you, you've, you're in a new status, you're in a new position. And the question you could ask at this point in time, even just a few words into Romans 5, is you could go, well, what is the nature of this new status? What is it like? Well, let's keep reading. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, Romans 1 to 4, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just an internal peace. This is an ongoing peace in your relationship, in the relationship between you and God. And what's amazing about this peace that Jesus won is it actually isn't achieved through the normal means. The normal means of achieving peace in our culture is by force, isn't it? It's with the police force. It's with the army. It's with the air force. It's with the navy. There are other ways that we are able to achieve peace, but when it all comes down to it, when there's uh, people at war with one another, we achieve some kind of peace through force. Well, not this time. Not this time. The peace that came here was uh, a willing servant who gave up his life. Let's keep reading. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, think about that. (laughs) The doorway was opened for you to get access into a position where you get everything coming to you from Jesus. You get access into a position of grace. Every single thing that you need from God, every single thing that you need to live, the death of Christ has ushered you into a room That's filled with that stuff, and it will be filled with that for the rest of your days. Let's keep reading verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, what's that? Uh, In the Bible, hope is not a wish. Uh, Hope is sure and certain. It, It drives you. We... We are people, and you might go, well, I'm not really into glory. And I say, well, yes, you are. Everyone's into glory. Uh, It just looks weird in Australia because of the tall poppy syndrome. How are we into glory? And how is this hope that Paul talks about here meant to energise us? You know what the glory is that Paul's talking about here? The, the, The glory that Paul is talking about here is the glory of being restored to being like him in the way that humanity was in the very beginning. Romans 3.23 says that uh, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. 
2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What's the glory that we hope in that we know is going to happen? Well, we're going to look like God again. We're going to be glorious again. This is the restoration of humanity back into the image of God. So what do we have in the midst of this? Well, we have a joyful confidence that we're going to make it. We have a joyful confidence that that is our destination, even in the midst of present failure and present frustration. I, uh, I prayed this morning to God. I, um, it was a prayer of repentance, but one of the things I prayed in my prayer this morning was, will you take me back? Well, in one sense, the answer is always yes. Always. In another sense, I was never gone. That, that's what this piece is about in Romans 5. It, you were never gone. You were, you were always in there. This sure and certain hope is that God is going to bring to fruition and to final fulfillment your rebuilding and your restoration back into his image, into a glorious state. You know, if, if the, the death of Jesus and his resurrection means anything, it means that we're actually going to make it and God's going to make sure that we make it. Verse 3. Not only that, I'm just going to read the rest of this passage and then make a few comments. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, let's start with the first one. Suffering produces endurance. Now, Paul talks here about we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, peace with God does not always equal peace with other people. Sufferings happen. And what we're talking about here, what Paul's talking about is uh, tribulation or pressure. That's what's happening. Now, this would typically, in the Bible, be about tribulation or pressure from other people, but it can also be used in a more general sense, this idea of suffering. It could just be external events that are bringing about pressure. You know, this is what suffering does. It puts pressure on you. But suffering produces endurance. And so I want you to hear here, this, this is a resistance thing. This is resistance training. Like you go to the gym and you you bench press weights or you do a zoo class and your muscles burn. I mean, that's what they talk about in the zoo class. Your, your trainer's going, can you feel the burn in your quads? You know, and the answer is yes, yes, I can. And, and what is the point of that? Well, the, the, the body weight, my body weight is putting pressure on my muscles and making them grow. You know, endurance is about resisting pressure and bearing up under it. If you're able to resist the pressure, then you'll get stronger. You know, and, and we're called to glory and rejoice in suffering. Now, <laughs> it may look weird when it happens, but I can tell you that people who go to the gym or do exercise classes at some level glory in their suffering. They glory in the pressure that's coming upon them. Why? Because it's producing something. It's producing something good. Now, we are, we are not people who ask for 
suffering uh, as Christians. When Paul talks about rejoicing in suffering, we are not people who say, oh, let's just get as much of it as we can because there's plenty of people around that would be happy to deal it out, right? That would be weird. Our joy and our rejoicing doesn't actually come from just having all this stuff piled on top but what God's actually doing in the midst of it, how he makes it work for our good. Is the second thing that Paul talks about. Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Now you look through the scriptures and uh, you'll find really um, quickly and in numerous occasions that perseverance, endurance and patience are virtues. These are, these are good things to have. Um, th- this, is, this too is obvious, I think. If you resist under pressure and you don't give up, you'll be a person of character. That's how it works. Uh, You'll be someone who's been refined. Job says in the book of Job, Job 23 verse 10, when he, speaking of God, when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. He is. Let me just say this to you, you maybe a a weird phrasing. Um, You are going to increase in value through suffering. That's what's going to happen. As as a person, you're going to become more valuable as you suffer and as you struggle. You know, think back, uh, those who have been around the project a bit, think back to our teaching on what it means to be truly human. See, to be truly human is to be tested and to pass the test. And so Adam and Eve get tested in the garden. They fail the test. And then on numerous occasions, the nation of Israel gets tested and they fail the test. Then it seems that God stops testing people. And then Jesus shows up before he goes into ministry. What happens to him? Well, he gets tested. And what does he do? Well, he passes the test. See, being human is about being tested. When you get tested and you resist the test, you become more and more who you are supposed to be. You become more and more truly human by resisting under pressure. The last thing uh, Paul connects there is uh, and character, hope. And I want to just pause for a moment and just acknowledge something with you. Uh, if you're anything like me, suffering is pretty blinding. You get right in the middle of some, a really tough spot, even if it might be in your family at home or maybe it's some physical suffering, and it can be really hard to think of anything else. When I... When I get in the middle of a zoo class and my quads are starting to burn, that's pretty much the only thing that I can think about at that point in time. And so you have someone from outside of you as a trainer who's saying, you know, keep pushing through. There's a good thing ahead for you. But, but suffering is just blinding. It is blinding. And you can see this um, reality in, uh, in the Psalms uh, regularly. Uh, one particular psalm, which I think just highlights this so well, is um, Psalm 10. So Psalm 10 verse 1 uh, starts with this. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You see, suffering has a way of kind of deleting the hard drive in your head. Um, but as you hold on, as you grow in character, as you develop endurance in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of testing, 
you know, one, one thing that you see is you see how he's restoring you to his image. One of the things that happens is, is you test him as you're being tested. In a sense, you test him. Um, you put your trust on him and you find that he's faithful in the midst of the pressure. And at the end of the suffering, you realize he loved you all along. He was helping you and he's with you. This is what you see in Psalm 10. At the end of the Psalm, verses 16 to 18, I'll read it for you. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Listen to this in contrast. Remember the two questions the psalmist asked at the beginning were, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This is verse 17, by the end of the psalm. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Your hope is not unfounded. Your hope will not put you to shame because your hope is in God. Some of you probably feel this. Some of you uh, have stood perhaps at the edge of the cliff of uh, throwing yourself into God's hands. Maybe you, you did that before you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you are even there right now. You haven't given your life to Jesus and you're right at the edge and you just go, what's going to happen? If I actually trust him and believe in him, what's going to happen? What if I'm found out to be wrong? What if, what if bad things happen? But I want to say to you this morning, that's not how it's going to work. You know, if you go back to uh, Romans chapter 5 there, what's the end point of those who put their hope in God? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What's God going to do in the end? Well, he's going to remind you that you're his children that you're his child. What are you going to know? Well, you're going to know his love. You're going to feel loved by God. That's where we're going. That's where all of this is going. And so in the words of Paul from Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to uh, transition at this point to, uh, to Sue. So I'm just going to duck off screen for a few seconds. I'll, uh, we'll get her mic'd up and she's going to do the rest of the message this morning, a specific encouragement and exhortation to the mums. Well, hi, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. I don't know whether to be um, daunted by following after Churchill's photo, but here we go anyway. Whether you're a mum, a foster mum, a grandma, whether this is biological or by other, some other way, whether you're a sister, a friend or an auntie, the world over, women were born to nurture. We were wired to care for babies, for children, for fluffy little animals, for friends, for loved ones, and for each other. Nothing derails a mum like trouble with her kids. Have you ever noticed that? 
that if uh, something is going on with a kid, uh, someone's child, you see their whole focus just turned toward trying to figure out what is going on, what they need to do. That is their focus. When there is trouble, it causes deep internal contemplation and concern because nothing can come between the desire to nurture her little dependent and herself. She will sacrifice herself in many ways to see her child thrive. It's kind of this love-hate thing. You know, I'm sure that through isolation there's been periods uh, where you have maybe perhaps been looking for some separation from your beloved children. And uh, it's, a, it's a funny thing that sometimes thoughts of nurture can, t- can turn to other thoughts that are running wild. It's, it's, uh, I loved what Pete said about it's a love-hate thing. Sometimes I've, when I was parenting, when my kids were little, sometimes I was amazed at how I could love them so intensely and think about destruction all in the one moment. It's not easy, but today I want to give you some encouragement. I want to give you encouragement about being a child of God, about being a generational influencer, and the hope that we have. So let's get at it. So you are a child of God. We are called to live by the spirit which lives within us as we humble ourselves before the hand of God. I am ever so thankful that his spirit living within me enables me to do what is just impossible on my own. We are not living out of the flesh And I just want to encourage you today in those moments when your flesh is really screaming, just be reminded that actually God's spirit is living within us and we can call, say, God, I need your help in this moment. I need your help to make something good out of a situation that is unraveling right before me. We are not living out of the flesh. I just said that. His spirit lives in us and makes us more than conquerors. Romans 8, 35 and 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword or COVID? No, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know about you, but sometimes in those really tough moments, I find that I forget that. It's easy for me to get forgetful when life gets really tough. So Paul Tripp uh, is one of my favourite teachers and he's given me a few tips on this. So some of this uh, first section is just reworded from him, but he talks about this thing called identity amnesia. And when life gets really tough, sometimes I get an identity amnesia. I get the opportunity. Yes, do you want to share and give testimony to the goodness of God? The fire in my veins go, yes, I want to do that. But within hours, suddenly I'm going, I can't do that. What am I doing? I don't have anything to say. I'm going to look stupid. People are going to see me. What if I misrepresent God? The fire in my veins turns to cold fear. And before I know it, I feel mute and devoid of all clarity. Something that I was thinking was going to be really good has derailed me. And rather than looking up 
I'm looking inward and that's always a scary place for me to be. I need something to reorient me. Identity amnesia makes you feel poor when in fact we're actually really rich. Remember that spirit living within us. It can make us feel foolish when in fact we have relationship with the one who is wisdom. Identity amnesia makes you feel unable when in fact you have great strength. Mums, I'm really thinking about you in these times when you feel totally unable, your kids are out of control and you just do not know what to do and sometimes you find yourself at night thinking, how am I actually going to bring any kind of order into this? I'm telling you, God gives you strength that you don't think that you have. Sometimes in those moments, identity amnesia makes us feel alone. But yet with God's spirit living within us, actually it's impossible for us to be alone. Often when we feel unloved, we feel unloved when in fact as a child with a heavenly father, we have been graced with eternal love. You feel like you don't measure up when in fact the saviour measured up on your behalf. Identity amnesia actually sucks the life out of you in the here and now. It causes us to forget that we have a person we can go to who hears our heart's deep cries. He carries us and covers us as we confess our inadequacies, bringing us right to the arms of the Father. We have a safe place. So while all this is going on, I really want to encourage you, don't get identity amnesia. Go back and ask God to remind you who you are. You are his beloved child. He never leaves you and his love for you is immense. Okay, next point is you are a generational influencer. I always get so excited by that idea. A little bit terrified but excited. We all influence one way or another. Every word that comes out of our mouths brings life or death. That should be something that we consider. But when you are as a mum, as a grandma, as an auntie, as a friend of children, you have the chance to influence for the next generations. Jochebed, out of Exodus 2, Moses' mother, she's somebody who uh, my sister-in-law was reminding me about her, saying she's such an amazing woman to think about when we think about what it is to be a good mum. Mary, the mother of Jesus, they were women who had faith in their God they were prepared to sacrifice for the good of another and they had great courage to stand firm in the midst of challenge. I really, I really think there's lots of women in the project today who have courage that they don't realise they have, who want to stand firm. And I'm saying you can stand firm. You can influence generations. So this is what we're going to talk about. When you choose life, and you're not swayed, you become an influencer. God's love, God loves you and has chosen you to be his. You have a job to do that is much more than the mundane of cleaning the house, teaching your kids, all the little things that seem to be irrelevant. It's actually for something much bigger. Every moment of the day is opportunity to be sowing seeds 
into the understanding of a big life and a big God and his story and the little part that we play. You are not existing in motherhood. You have been given a little canvas or maybe many little canvases, one who will display the unique picture God has crafted for them to display. And your part is to unfold the glory of God before them in a way that enables them to capture that picture and get on with the big picture of playing their part. I find that so exciting when I think about the possibility of moulding something. I look back and think I could have done way better with some of that moulding, but I'm thankful that God makes up for the, for the inadequacies. Sometimes in the big picture, the repetitiveness of teaching our kids can be wearing. But I want to encourage you, look at what you're actually doing. Why do we teach manners? Because it shows respect for someone besides ourselves. Why do we teach obedience? Because we need to learn self-control and trust in the one who sees the whole picture. Why do we teach putting another before us, sharing? Because that reminds us that our lives are not our own and it's actually, we are actually not all that important. It's not all about us. Why do we teach how to go the extra mile and finish well? Because we are learning to please the king and have an attitude of excellence. Why do we teach how to seek forgiveness for our sin that separates? Because confession is a grace that brings us back to being with the Father, the essence of life. Why do we teach how to be kind and caring, long-suffering and patient? As Pete said, they're virtues. As a woman of God, this is what we are doing. This is the sowing that we are doing time and time again. I know that sometimes it's confronting. I remember with my own kids, you can't hide when you've got kids. They confront you and they say, well, you don't do that or that wasn't right or you're unkind. Sometimes we blow it really badly. But the truth is when we come back and we seek forgiveness and we ask God to strengthen us, reorient us, and then we go again, we are laying a foundation that allows God to build into our kids his plan and his purpose. The, when Kids need to see parents and other adults who are dedicated to living a way that is founded on something unchanging and sure. God and his word gives us that. Eternal hope in an ever-changing world. You are teaching your kids in those moments of repetition. You're teaching your kids to be countercultural, prepared to stand on truth, God's truth, in a world that actually applauds acceptance of every belief without differentiation. That is a huge thing. That's a big picture thinking when you do that. I don't know about you, but it encourages me to go back and be diligent in the repetition. You are not just bearing with your kids in your home. You are moulding the next generation 
of leaders, ministers, presidents, teachers. So much more than that. So many vocations where God needs his image to be to be standing. I remember there was one time in our household, there was one particular year when we actually happened to have um, two school captains in the house. We had school captain of senior school, school captain of primary school, and up and coming was the youngest one who was reveling to get her uh, name known. In my Christmas letter that year, I wrote about how we had two school captains in the house and the up-and-coming Prime Minister. I never had to wonder what I should be doing because somebody was constantly telling me. And I remember at that moment thinking, how did this happen that, that we've got this happening? I've obviously somehow taught my kids that um, they have to be vocal because here they are in these situations. But what I didn't realise was just the repetition of sewing little things hopefully was putting them in positions for God to use them. Please don't hear me saying that I did that right. That was actually all God doing all of that. But um, at those times I was astounded that God has big plans. It reminds me time and time again. I don't know the plans that he has for my kids, but I want to do all I can to give them good foundation. And that's what you guys are doing so diligently. I want to encourage you to to. Don't underestimate the little things that you continue to do. Sometimes this, our past experiences of either being mothered or um, where we felt we haven't done so well can hinder us. I really want to encourage you. There are really good godly role models around you. If you feel unsure, get alongside somebody and ask them, how do I do that? What do I do with that? Older women are longing to encourage younger women, to feed into them. In the midst of all of this, don't let your view be clouded by your own experience. God has good for you. He has good for you in this time. His purpose for you is that there is reward in sacrificial living, it says in Matthew 6. When you sacrifice, somewhere along the line, there is going to be great reward that is going to bring joy to you. God holds the blueprint for you and each of your children. So seek him. It's a good thing. The last thing is hope. I was so encouraged by Pete's um, talk about hope. So true. We have something solid to stand on. Um, Again, there's a song um, Evan Shelton wrote actually that really captures me about the earth is the Lord's and he's in control. There is nothing to fear. We are actually on the right team. And I just want to remind you that you're playing for the long game. Parenting is not a short space of endurance. It's a long time of sowing, 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 wondering when you're going to see the harvest. I know that there's um, moments when I've talked to young mums when they are so excited that their, their kid has suddenly been able to thank them voluntarily for something because they've seen the connection of the sowing, suddenly the child has realised that's something I can be thankful for. That is such a great thing. Um, 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, 
restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Let me just read that again. After you have suffered for a little while, sometimes it can feel like a long while when you're with kids, but you know, it's actually just such a small while. And in that moment, you are going to have eternal glory with God. He's going to restore you and confirm you and strengthen and establish you. Hope is not dependent on how you feel. It took me a little while to get a grip on that. I feel like for a lot of my life, um, feelings have dictated. And I realize that actually my feelings are not that relevant. What's relevant is God's truth. When you're going through a dark time and it's really swaying you, the thing that becomes relevant is that sure foundation that you can draw back to. The outcome actually doesn't rest on your shoulders. Man, if there's one thing that encouraged me when I was kid, with kids, it was suddenly realising, ah, oh, it doesn't rest on just me. I don't have to get this perfect because God is going to carry this. I just do the best with the sowing that I can and he is going to breathe his life into that and make good with that. I can trust him with that. So I encourage you to, to be reminded of that. God is not shocked or surprised by anything that comes. I've been horribly shocked at times by what has come with my kids, not because of them, but certain situations. Sometimes you endure things you never imagine you're going to endure, but God's not surprised. He's not shocked. He knows and he goes before you and he wants to walk with you. In the, in the deepest cry in the night, God is with you. You are not alone. Hope is in acknowledging my struggle, acknowledging my wrestle with not knowing where, which way is up, confessing my sin and then accepting his forgiveness. When I do that and I do that in front of my kids, I'm actually displaying Christ to them right there and then. There's actually nothing more important than that, nothing more important. He is the one who, who can shelter you under his wings. He's the one who moves the mountains that seem impossible and he is always ahead of you. I really want to encourage you, don't live in the what if and if only. God God covers that. Do your best, be diligent in that, ask for forgiveness, accept his um, forgiveness and get on with life. I really want to encourage you, that all being said, be radically filled with joy. Let peace resound within you that the fact that you know your God, he never leaves you and he's working his plan within your kids. So cast off your burdens, let hope arise, raise your hands and I want to encourage you, your mums to get dancing in the kitchen because God is full of his goodness and his grace for you. He's not going to leave you and there's one thing that changes a million things is when your kids see you having fun with God. Get dancing. It changes the whole atmosphere of your home. When things are bad, put on some music and get to it. I, w- I hope you found this encouraging today. I hope that you can be reminded that uh, God knows and he's trustworthy.